Hello listeners, Jinx Monsoon here, and today my guest is none other than the very fetching and funny Australian comedian, Joel Creasy. We talk about his time on Eurovision, what it's like being frenemies with Reese Nicholson, and I share a very candid story about one bumpy night in Sydney. Today on Hi Jinx! Forever Dog Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by comedian, actor, TV and radio presenter, as well as Eurovision host, Joel Creasy. Hi Joel! Hi, Jinx. <laughs> How are you doing, Joe? You did it perfect. <laughs> now, you and I have been friends for I don't know how many years, but it goes way back. Because yeah. it was early on in um, um, in my show days in New York after my season. I was doing the vaudevillians at the Lori Beachman Theater. And I remember one night um, our, our producer told us that... Uh, Hip, young, up and coming <laughs> Australian comedian was going to be opening for us one of those nights, and, yes. and it was you, and um, and you were so charming and you were so wonderful. And then oh, thank you. it was only it was only a couple months later that then I came over to Australia, and I had had no idea in New York <laughs> that you're like the comedian of australia you're like (laughs) you're on everyone's televisions constantly you're the poster boy um for australian stand-up and i felt i'm like a rash (laughs) (laughs) i felt so silly that i you know that's the thing is like um i don't think we get a lot of news about australia in, in america it's um it feels like we never really know what's going on down there. So, but no. you are an Australian household name. <laughs> well, I was quite intoxicated that. that entire New York trip <laughs> when we first met. I was there with my manager. We were up to no good. We came and saw your show. Like, there was a night I opened, and then we came back several nights and just drinking up the bar. It was great fun. So I'm they, sure they I represented t- myself as a total star. <laughs> well, I I mean, you know, I don't even have any memories that far back because of how much <laughs> I used to drink. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's been a joy knowing you throughout the years, and I've seen you perform in Australia. But we've uh, people can see you. Um, there's lots of ways to see you. You you are a presenter. How many years now have you been presenting for Eurovision? We just did our fifth year, but our first time not traveling to Europe, which sucked. <laughs> um, mostly for my frequent flyer miles and status credit, um, but also just being there, able to interact with the artists is great because yeah. then we know which ones are absolute trash and which one are, which ones are great, <laughs> and that sort of can inform our commentary. Whereas this year we were like, well, we don't know which one's the asshole, so I guess they're all <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, five years. I love Eurovision. Are you a Eurovision fan? I've never really. No, I've never really watched it myself. I like seeing the the iconic things that make its way to YouTube. Yes. Um, but my husband, who's a Brit, uh, is a Eurovision fan, and he he's given me a crash course. He's given me a, a, an education on Eurovision um, fairly recently, and um, it's quite confusing. Like all the rules, <laughs> I was trying to explain to my radio co-hosts who aren't into Eurovision; they're Australian. And uh, they were like, it's it's too hard, and it's like getting into it with all the voting and the and the juries and the and all the different countries involved and the politics. Uh, it is quite intense. I my favorite thing about Eurovision, and it happened some time ago, and I never remember her name when I need to, um, but she was a Eurovision contestant who was like pulling off some huge elaborate performance art. Do you yeah. know who I'm talking about? Where she threw like a big temper tantrum when she didn't win, and oh. 
You Josh you don't know who Curry. I'm talking about? Oh my gosh. I always forget her name when I need to when I need to know. Um, like Faith Hill at the Country Music Awards when she <laughs> loses to Taylor Swift and basically flips the table. I've watched that clip so many times <laughs> in the hope I at least just get nominated one day for an award so I can be on that split screen of five. Like I've never, I never want to win an award. I just want a nomination so I can lose my shit one day. Oh, on you camera. don't, you don't think you'd do the kind of like faux um, genuine thing where you're like, you're giving that little like half smile and the little yeah. golf clap um, before yeah. this, before this, conversation's over i will figure out who that person was and we will we will work it back into this conversation but you're i, mean, I should is... know shouldn't i it's my it's my job <laughs> yeah haven't why haven't you got a, an encyclopedic knowledge of eurovision i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> the, the fans actually do expect that of us so we spend <laughs> like weeks studying in the lead up and then you slip up on one name presenting eurovision <laughs> and they come for you online so hard but it's fun um, how old are you, Joel? May I ask? I turned 30 in lockdown last year, so I'm not counting it. I'm considering myself still 29. Um, <laughs> and I really didn't want to have, uh, like, Zoom birthday drinks with friends, so I sent everyone, all my friends that were supposed to be coming to the dinner party I was throwing before our state was put back into lockdown, cakes with 30 on top and then crossed out <laughs> and 29 and a little poem that read, if you dare try and contact me on Zoom today, we're, we're over. We're done. Um, I, I only ask because you have experienced quite a bit of success for a, for a young person. And um, I, if I'm correct, you've been out the entire time. Have you, oh, yeah. did you ever have any um, commercial, commercial exposure before coming out of the closet or you've been no. queer the whole time? Yeah, I came out jazz hands and a marching <laughs> band. Um, <laughs> like I came out in high school uh, when I was maybe 14, 15 and no one had a, like none of the students had a problem. I guess it, this goes to mm-hmm. show the kind of age bracket I grew up in none of the students had an issue mostly because I was the editor-in-chief of the student newspaper and when I was there I introduced a gossip column and a sealed section so if anyone wronged me I would just blast them in the media uh the school media in the media the school media the school student paper I think I'm Rupert Murdoch and um and so the, the students were fine the teachers were the ones that maybe had more of the issues um but, you know, that's their problem. But that's uh, just because you were blowing the other students in the bathroom. And yeah, exactly. They like, get to class. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm, I love to celebrate people who have experienced commercial success at the level that you have and who have been out the entire time. Because it's not always easy to do that. The system is not set up um, to make that easy. It's getting better every year. It gets better all the time. But I think um, to be... uh, to be a queer icon um, at so young and experience so much success, you know, my hat's off to you. Uh, oh, cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Let's see how many times this interview I slip into my terrible Australian accent. Uh, I've, I've heard far worse. <laughs> um, so you started doing stand-up as a teenager. What what drew you to stand-up? Well, I wanted to, I wanted, I was in growing up in Perth in Western Australia, the most isolated city in the world, as Perth people love to remind people, remind everyone of. They've had like no COVID in Perth. Um, and I wanted to be a, a serious actor. I saw myself doing Shakespeare on stage. And then I realised that there's not a lot of roles going for the limp-wristed, uh, blonde, lispy, uh, 14-year-old queer kid. So I just, um, I realised stand-up comedy is something that I could do. Uh, I didn't really have any interest in it. I enjoyed watching stand-up growing up, but I didn't consume it uh, 24-7. So when I was 16, I entered a stand-up comedy competition in Australia called Raw Comedy, and it was at the (laughs) local pub, and my parents had to take me and sign me in because it was a licensed venue, and... I was uh, under the legal drinking age and um, and I did really well. I made the, the finals of that competition and that's where, like, you know you know what it's like. The first time you get a laugh on stage, it's addictive. You've got the bug for life yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, yeah, so then my parents for the first two years of my stand-up uh, comedy career uh, had to take <laughs> me to every gig and it's a very, <laughs> not very rock and roll and also a very strange experience when your mother is the heckler or your mother <laughs> is the one being removed from the venue by security while you're on stage. 
like I remember one of my first gigs, I could hear this like um, kerfuffle up the back of the room. And I was like, oh, someone's getting kicked out. This is exciting. And I don't like actually like doing any crowd interaction still to this day. But mm-hmm. for some reason, 16-year-old me, I was very confident. I said, bring the house lights up, bring the house lights up. Let's, let's see what's going on. Um, and then I saw it was my mum being escorted out of the venue. And I was like, bring the house lights down, bring the house lights down. Please ignore <laughs> what is taking place in the back of the room. And I remember the show of yours, uh, the one live show of yours I saw, aside from when you opened for the Vaudevillians, um, you had a whole bit about taking Zumba with your mom, and then you ended up sleeping with the Zumba instructor. Yeah. (laughs) I do really, um, really deep thinking political (laughs) satire. (laughs) I always say at the start of my shows, because these days as well, you know, with comedy, it's like, it can go either way, and, and... but I always say at the start of my shows, you know, you're not going to get anything political. You're not going to get anything <laughs> particularly um, uh, highbrow. If anything, you're going to leave dumber. But gosh, you're going to have a good time. <laughs> um, what, what's it like working your family into the material? And then do they see that material? Is it difficult to perform material based on your mom in front of your mom? It sounds like she'll, she'll have a lot of opinions about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they came. My parents love a free ticket, so they've come and they've come to see me in New York. I'm fairly sure they might have come to your show with me in New York. Actually, they come to Montreal. They always come to Eurovision. Five minutes before Eurovision started, a couple of years ago, Mum was in the arena. I'm up in my commentary box, which is and the, the levels of security you have to, you know, swipe <laughs> and get past to get into your commentary box at Eurovision. Mum texts me about three minutes before we go live to air asking where her um, Team Australia flag is and whether I can run it down to her. I'm like, Mum, we're about to go live. I'm, I'm, I'm wired up. I'm mic'd up. I can't just – it's an arena of 20,000 people. But, I, <laughs> sure, I, I, I can send someone down with the Australian flag. It might be about an hour. Um, so they just have to deal with it. But they came to a show – the other night, which was all about my mum, she had a stroke at the start of last year. She's fine, but that's the that's that's the the storyline of the show. She she sat there and laughed and waved when people <laughs> recognised her. Well, and when I do is. shows in Perth, they stand at the door of the theatre and at the end of the show and thank people for coming along. <laughs> and not everyone immediately knows what my parents look like, so a lot of my audience just think it's the owners of the theatre being really proactive. They're like, well, this- Theater owners are lovely. Do they come to every show? That's like the that's like the stand-up comedy equivalent of your parents paying people to be your friends. <laughs> well, I'm oh glad gosh, to hear. I've never thought of that. <laughs> glad to hear your mom's doing all right, and glad to hear she's a good sport. I I have you know had material about my mom for ages, but only recently ever had a a time where I had to perform it in front of her. And that was pretty damn nerve wracking. Did you I, adjust anything? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, the one adjustment was that I, um, I had this story about how my mom ruined Christmas for me one year. And um, I was really nervous going into the show that night. Cause my mom and my whole family. And like when we perform in Portland, like 22 people in my family and extended family always come out. They all ask for right. comps. I have to get everyone of a course. comp because yeah. if I give some people comps and not other people comps, then it's the whole thing. So I end up paying for like 15 <laughs> okay. tickets myself. Yeah. Um, you're running in the red. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and I remember being really nervous about doing this story in front of my mom, painting her as like a Joan Crawford kills Christmas kind of <laughs> thing. Um, and something came over me in the moment. And I, I said, and that was the night my mother ruined Christmas. And she's right <laughs> over there. And I pointed her out to the, <laughs> to the uh, crowd. And she, she did the same thing. She waved. She was pretty. She, my mom has terrible stage fright. But when I started doing Drag Race, when my episodes started airing, something yeah. came alive in her. And she started really <laughs> liking the attention for the first time in her life. And she would go to viewing parties and wear a little tiara and like wear a little like button that says Jinx's oh. mom. And people would buy her drinks. And she loved it. <laughs> How divine. Oh, she got the showbiz bug quick. Couldn't oh, shake yeah. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've done a lot of, uh, of stand-up comedy in the Fringe Festival circuit in Australia, which is, which is a pretty big... 
thing in Australia, the Fringe Festival. That's what's brought me to Australia multiple times. Highly competitive. Um, oh, um, just, yes. Just countless, um, a huge variety of different acts. It's yeah. really... It's really fantastic. It's a really wonderful time of year. Um, what's what's your experience has been like in that in that fringe festival environment? <laughs> well, I love. I mean, I love the fringe festivals. You know, it's a much more of a you like you know UK and Australian thing for stand up comics, particularly to write these uh, new hour long or ninety minute quite anecdotal stories a year. Whereas the the US comedy scene, I think, as you know, works a little bit more a little different in that it's more like that club comedy and getting out mm. and doing five gigs mm. a night as opposed to one solo show. Um, but I love the fringe experience. Cause as you said, it's very competitive and mm-hmm. that I, as an entertainer, I know not many um, admit to this, but I love that competitive side. I love the business of show. I love hearing that, you know, there's 20 more seats have just gone on sale. You need to get rid of them in three hours before curtain up. <laughs> I love all that shit. Um, so I love getting out on the campaign trail and doing publicity and, and I love having something to sell basically. I'm, a, I'm like a used car salesman, uh, <laughs> just peddling my old dick jokes around Australia. <laughs> um, I, I, the first time I went to Australia was for the Fringe Festival and it was shortly after that New York run we've already spoken of, but, um, I will say it was a jarring jarring experience for me (laughs) for one big reason my season of drag race had yet to air in australia and people that's right people didn't really have access to it unless they went through the back the the backwoods the the, the backwoods of the internet if they were like black market uh torrent (laughs) sharing um, (laughs) um so I experienced a a long, successful run in New York, and my manager and a producer from Australia thought this show would kill at the Australian Fringe Festival. And because you have the name recognition, you know, Fringe Festivals are one of those things where you start small, you come back every year, and then when people know to expect you there... um, That's when you start experiencing success, like a couple years into it. Yes, for sure. Um, They really thought, your name recognition is going to sell the tickets. <laughs> People are going to love this show. You're going to have a great time. You're going to make a fortune. We get there. No one knows who I am. And furthermore, like, they don't know who Jinx Monsoon is. And then I'm out there like, come see a vaudeville show. <laughs> and, like, and the show's not really a vaudeville show, but that's the theme. And, um, and I just remember going from one of my most successful runs of a show in New York to um, just having the, they got me these giant venues, these giant you tents. You were playing huge venues. I was playing huge venues, filling up a fourth of the audience <laughs> <laughs> and thinking, what the hell happened? And it wasn't until halfway through our two and a half month stay in Australia that I realized no one has oh. seen my season of Drag Race. And then we really put in the overtime trying to get out and hustle, trying to get out and everyone get to know people and, and perform in other people's things so people would yeah. get a taste. But um, it was it was a humbling experience, but not one I would trade because I fell <laughs> in love with Australia immediately. Um, it's like going back to America in the 90s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like reliving my youth as an adult. Um, It's a lot of fun. Um, How would you say you find bringing your work over to the States when you have? Um, have Have you had fun when you've brought shows? Do you mostly perform in the UK when you're outside of Australia or have you brought much stuff to the to the States? Well, I mean, I, I, I like I'm, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I've had a very bat- patchy experience with because um, it was similar to you. I just done a um, I just done uh, a reality TV show in Australia called I'm a, I'm a Celebrity. Get me, get me out of here. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like riding high. I was playing these mm-hmm. massive two thousand seat theaters in Australia. I was getting packed everywhere I go. I was loving life, mm-hmm. and then I went to Edinburgh to do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and my opening night I had five people in, three of which were a family who'd been comped on the street who left about 10 minutes in when I got to the story about sleeping with the Zumba instructor and then the two 
two other audience members. One of them was this um, very famous English cricket captain named Freddie <laughs> Flintoff, who was a contestant on my season of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here in Australia. He, he won the season, in fact. So I'd spent six weeks camping in the African jungle with him on national Australian television, leading him to believe that I'm this huge comedy superstar <laughs> oh, in no. Australia. And then he comes to my show. He's sitting amongst four other people, three of whom leave, and I'm on stage doing material about him and my experience <laughs> in the jungle. I mean, how excruciating. And you can't explain your way out of that after. I was like, no, no, this is just a, a weird night. I played to thousands of people in Australia. That just sounds like you're now lying. It was, and I, I don't think I've ever spoken to him since. So that was oh my absolutely excruciating. So I haven't been back to Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> but I actually, I've been, I've, I've done the States quite a bit. I love performing in America. And I, a lot of Australian comics tend to go to the UK more to perform. Uh, it's part of a commonwealth, you know, uh, whereas all my favourite stand-ups growing up are American um, mm-hmm. Amer- and all the great uh, American women particularly. So um, I've always found that my stand-up translates better in America and I have to make fewer tweaks. But then there's, yeah. always, there's always the obvious ones. Like I did a Netflix special a few years back and, um, and like, for example, I do a joke about Lynx deodorant, uh, which in America <laughs> is Axe. Um, oh, yeah. And you know, yeah, it's yeah. just those tiny little, it's, it's those tiny little tweaks, but often it's, you're like doing the bit and you're about to get to it and you're like, oh shit, I haven't asked someone for the local reference. <laughs> this is going to go down like a lead yes. balloon. Um, yes, I've definitely had those moments. Um. <laughs> and you're it's... you're always asking someone for the local shit town. You're like, what's your shittest town name? I just might need it for a bit. I think every comics have that conversation with another local comedian. What's your nicest town? What's your shittest town? Who's your biggest celebrity? Who's your worst celebrity? Great. Thank you. I'm good to go. And then when you know that reference on stage in front of that local audience and you say it and you get that smug little smile on your face, like, you didn't know I was going to know your local references, did you? I know. I've done my research. Work. I work. Uh, Your references are always very good in Australia. You always do have kind of the... I just really connected with the culture very quickly um, in Australia. I just really... I think I... This is the thing, though, is that I went during festival season. And I always say, you know, like... People will say, like, where's your favorite place in Australia? And I'm like, Perth. And Perth. And <laughs> everyone's like, Correct ew, answer. Perth? Why, why, <laughs> why Perth? And I'm like what's wrong with Perth? And they're like, that sleepy little ghost town. And I'm like, no, Perth was alive and buzzing and there were balloons everywhere and people were doing yoga in the town square. And there was like a giant TV screen just in the middle of the town. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I had, I definitely had all my, not all of them, but most of my craziest late nights in Perth. Um, I did not know my first trip to Australia that your 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 gay bars don't close till like ten in the morning. Oh yeah, um, and then there's others that then open at ten to take that crowd. They're like, oh, we'll, we'll take you. So I I think I was holding court one night. Um, my the rest of my team had gone home because they were tired, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll just leave when the bar closes. You know, I'm yeah, having great. such a good time. I'll leave when the bar closes. So that <laughs> I had already made up in my mind, thinking it was going to be like two, maybe three, or you yeah. know, like in New York, there's some bars that stay open till four. I'm like, I-, I get to sleep tomorrow. I'll be fine. I can handle that. Yeah, I've done this before. I'm outside at um oh my gosh can't remember the club name right now um drank that Do you memory which city? away <laughs> it was Perth um, oh connections 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 nice Connie's yeah. good old Connie's Connie's <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm out on uh, I'm out on a terrace and I'm smoking a joint someone uh, loaned me and and I'm thinking I'm having a great time it, it's got to be closing soon I turn around the sun is rising. I say, what time is it? And they're like, it's 7 a.m. Jinx. I'm like, Jesus Christ, get me the fuck out of here. How did I stay all night at this club? People um, will be doing yoga in the square. <laughs> in mere moments. <laughs> um, yes, y'all, y'all Australians know how to party, which 
brings me to one of my more tumultuous memories with you, but we're going to stick <laughs> we're gonna stick to the basic facts and keep it okay. fun for yeah. everyone. Yeah. My first ever Sydney Mardi Gras, which is um <laughs> y'all's pride. Um yes. this is such an embarrassing story. Who knows if it'll get cut out of this podcast. But um, I had a deal with a local club where I was going to be doing a show at a local club. And they asked me not to go to Mardi Gras in drag. But I wasn't going to go to Pride out of drag. I wanted to feel my oats. So the deal was I had to stay in the VIP section where very few people would be able to see me. That's right. And you and I and um, someone else... um, we decided we were going to buy some (laughs) and I drunk mess at the time in a complete blackout haggled with some drag queen for talked her down on her price. But then when I went to go get the cash for the somehow the plan changed from to to But no one, if anyone like told me the plan had changed, I was too <laughs> drunk to know. So for the first time ever in my life, I'm doing <laughs> at the Sydney Mardi Gras Festival, trapped in the VIP section, and I slept through the entire party. <laughs> and you were sitting next to Paula Abdul. Do you remember this? No, I don't remember this. Paula Abdul was there because she was doing a TV show in Australia and she went to make conversation with you at one point and you were fast asleep. No, I can't. I have... No one told me about Paula Abdul. This is literally the first I'm hearing of it. Oh, it was amazing. And she, she and I was like, what are you doing here to her? Like, as if I knew her. I'd never met her in my life. I never met her again since. But it's like everyone that was in town was in that VIP room at Mardi Gras because it was like the place to be that night. It was, it, I, I was asleep the entire time. I remember waking up at like sunrise um, in the VIP section. It had cleared out. There were two other queens there. And they were like, we were just here keeping an eye on you, Jinx. <laughs> like just fairy, fairy queen mothers watching over yes. me. Um, I can laugh at it now. I am two years sober by the grace of God, but I can laugh at it now. And also like, you know, my, my time with my time with party drugs was a very small window. That's those surreal moments that make this whole, this whole crazy career we've (laughs) launched into worth it. You know, I met Paula Abdul later at Life Ball and she didn't bring that up. (laughs) I don't know. I've got to be honest, I, I don't know if she remembers being there either. <laughs> I was in good company. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that, like, I woke up, I was so embarrassed. I was like, how long have I been asleep? And um, these other two queens were just like, you've been asleep the entire night, but don't worry. You were very, you were well looked after. Everyone thought it was kind of adorable. You know, American drag queen comes to her first Sydney Pride yeah. and, and it spends the <laughs> entire time literally the entire time something like five or six hours just passed out in the vip section and i do remember one picture surfacing of my head on um courtney act's lap and she was just sitting there stroking my hair that's right because courtney was performing she was that was yeah that was such a fun year (laughs) it was a cuckoo time but um you know um i think i used to look back on that with a lot of shame but um I, I, you know, you're only young once. We all have to exactly. make those mistakes to learn our threshold. The last time I saw you in um, London, um, when you and I and our partners, we had a lovely little um, lunch in London. And it was the oh, first yes, time I had seen you in years. Yes, very civilized. So I'd like to ask you some questions about um, uh, how long have you been with your partner now, Jack? <laughs> um, we have been together for just over four years. Congratulations. Um, I think, yes, over four. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, you two are a ridiculously hot couple, <laughs> and <laughs> well, your partner you is actually a model. And what is that like dating a model? <laughs> Absolutely horrendous. Um, <laughs> at, 
it's fun to begin with, and then it really checks your ego on a quite quite a regular basis. Um, we both recently. Um, are you familiar with our soap opera here called Neighbours? Um, it's I know Kylie about Minogue it, yes. came from Neighbours and yes. a few other. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like Bold and the Beautiful. Um, and Jack and I recently both got roles on Neighbours, and this just goes to show like how great it can be dating a, a, a gorgeous model at times, but horrendous. <laughs> so um, Jack's character on Neighbours is called Hayden Storm which is such like a sexy soap opera name. My character on Neighbours is called Mick Allsop, as in Mick with an M, not even an N, Nick, and Mick. Like I thought all Mick start life at 45. How the fuck has this happened? And uh, Jack gets to play straight on Neighbours. I don't for obvious reasons. And Jack's storyline when he's on the show is that he's like this hot, uber driver because in the world of neighbors there's only one uber driver and um <laughs> he's this hot uber driver that all the girls that live in Erinsborough, the local town uh they all have a crush on on hayden storm and then at one point one of the girls walk works up the courage and makes out with him in the front seat of his uber right rock and roll <laughs> mick Allsop's storyline i get the bio for my character it reads <laughs> gay stalker i went what <laughs> i said how many people did you audition for this role? They said, oh, we wrote it for you. <laughs> and then my first scene on the show, I, Mick, and he, they, they never really specify which character I stalk. I just kind of stalk whoever's available on the day. And he catches the bus into town. He can't even afford Hayden's Uber. And then he, um, my character stays at the local <laughs> backpackers. I'm like, so I'm a poor gay stalker? I'm like, have I, have I done something to offend one of the writers? Or anyway, my first scene on the show is I'm in the foyer of the backpackers. Uh, and my, I usher to one of the other characters. My first line is, Oi, come here. Like that. And like with this gross, seedy, like, come here. And then it's not shown on screen but it is heavily implied that I usher him into the bathrooms and give him a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> that is my first scene on this like long running, like very like historic <laughs> TV show. I'm like, who would you rather be Hayden Storm or Mick Allsop? So <laughs> it's like moments like that dating Jack that really check you. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. You're, you're really hot. <laughs> well, it's not like you are not um, quite striking yourself and you have wonderful oh, fashion thanks. sense. I'm always, oh, I'm always clocking um, the wonderful suits you wear. And, and this is a th thing about, Okay. To anyone who has never been to Australia before, I want mm. you to try to explain this phenomenon. Um, shoes, optional yes. in Australia. <laughs> oh, like bare, like bare feet? Um, I, I yeah. guess it's mostly amongst like straight surfers and stuff. Um, but I've been in Australia, is Australian airports where just every man is barefoot, just walking yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not part, I'm not into the barefoot thing, but I like literally through this wall that I like our house backs onto a cafe and mm. right now half the crowd will be queuing up barefoot it's just people <laughs> people love people are mad for it even in COVID times um I, I got a mask feet. on but no shoes yeah. <laughs> yeah can't catch COVID through my toes um I hate and there's nothing worse than when you're when you're on a plane and there's someone next to you barefoot I can't I just can't abide that oh but, no planes yeah. No, I'm not. I mean, uh, you know, I have a I have a mild foot fetish. Um, <laughs> oh, really? I love a I love a barefoot man, a six foot four man slapping around barefoot. I had a good time in Australia. I only brought it up because I um I feel like you've um. <laughs> <laughs> my producer Dipper says it's <laughs> not mild. Oh um, wow! I'm on a. I've been. I had my feet reviewed on a foot fetish account. I'm sure you. Well, have you been on I one of these accounts say. before? Yeah. Is uh, um no, I haven't. But I, I, I'm not even. I say mild because it's not like I'm like you know seeking out feet or anything. You know, I just you don't have a poster them. above your bed. Or I something. notice them. I explain it like I explain it like feet for me are like. Uh, is like cleavage for a straight guy, you know, like right, I see, you I see, see it out in the world. It's something you find attractive, but it's not like, it's not like you're like, um, you know, hunting down pictures of just zooming in yeah. on the cleavage, you know, maybe. <laughs> you're not on the um, Foot Locker website calling for the model. <laughs> I'm 
I'm not uh, trolling wiki feet, which I only recently <laughs> found out existed. The only reason I bring this all up is um, I feel like you really popularized the whole like sleek suit, beautiful shoes, no socks. So you get a little hit of ankle oh, yeah. <laughs> when you're on a the red carpet. little slutty ankle. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, I love I, I love fashion and I find it with a lot of comedians, not, maybe not so much the the, um, the queer comics, but with the comedians, they put don't put in any effort and it really shits me. It's a really, uh, like, if someone's paid for a ticket, they've come along to see you live, put in a little effort. I, I mean, you don't have to be in some, like, high fashion number, but just <laughs> comb your hair. Um, but I love, um, I love dressing up and, um, you know, I love a red carpet. I love to get my ankles out and particularly love to read the comments from people being like, hey, you're not wearing socks. That's disgusting. <laughs> well, how am I meant to wear socks with this? And also, my feet aren't sweating like crazy. What do you think I'm doing in these? These shoes. I'm not going to a, a spin class in a pair of loafers. I'm walking down a red carpet. I can do that without working up a sweat. What sort of <laughs> monster do you think I am? Well, uh, every, every, everyone's body works differently. I'm. I always joke. Drag queens are the only. You know because. Uh, by the time we're putting on our, our underwear, you know, your drag panties on over your tights and over your hip pads and your corset. And um, drag queens are the only people who work up a sweat putting their underwear on. You know? <laughs> like by the time you've pigged yourself into your five layers of lycra, you're sweating. Um... <laughs> oh, I remember actually coming to see you in Perth, one of them more recent times oh, you were here gosh. and I came backstage and I've never been into a more hectic dressing room than you yeah. and I yeah and then you put Alyssa's wig on me and she almost <laughs> lost her mind because we were close to breaking it <laughs> oh that was that tour I I was thinking of another time in Perth um but I, I yeah I don't uh, so I love touring Australia with a cast of queens. That took a lot of the pressure off. Uh, <laughs> I was able to sit back and watch other queens who had never been to Australia before and never dealt with the heat before. I was able to just kind of sit back and be like, oh, this is old hat for me. But my first... <laughs> Sweating. <laughs> my first time um, at the Fringe Festival, we were in Perth and we had uh, we were in a large tent, not any no ventilation in the dead middle of sun uh, summer um australian summers are a whole different thing uh americans there are, is no place in america that can synthesize the experience of an australian summer <laughs> yeah we, it's hard we did like six or seven shows that week and every night we would step off stage and any part of us that was covered with clothing that clothing was soaked through it was insane how how i mean like i i had never experienced anything like that like trying to do the charleston in, <laughs> in the middle of a tarp tent with no ventilation with the sun just beating directly down on us oh, it was so glamorous <laughs> how do you make it through the cold months in australia <laughs> well i mean i'm in melbourne which is kind of the coldest um of of the capital cities um it's a very it's a really shitty day today um <laughs> but i i used to in this around this time head to the states and do like three months in the states or three months over uh mm. in the northern hemisphere and <laughs> avoid um, Australian winter, but I could just go to Sydney where it'd be like, you know, stunning and gorgeous and people would be out in the harbour and tanning uh, in the dead cold of winter. So it's it's not too bad. Or Perth, which they don't even have winter. Um, but yeah, I, I quite like it because I'm, I'm, I'm an August baby. I'm a winter baby. So that's my, they're my months. You're Leo. Yes, I'm a Leo. Oh, that, I don't think anything has ever made more sense than Joel Creasy's <laughs> <a> Leo. <laughs> Shock horror. <laughs> um, you're also very good friends uh, with another um, another queer Australian comedian who's another friend of mine. I feel like I met you two like back to back, and yeah. you've been two of my very good friends, um, Reese Nicholson, um, who is now uh, uh, who is now one of the judges on Aus uh, Drag Race Down Under. I was about to say yes. Aussie Drag Race, but that ain't true. It's Drag oh, yeah, careful. Drag Race Down Under. <laughs> um, what's it What's it been like maintaining a close friendship with your direct competition? <laughs> I, I mean, it is it is really bizarre, um, and we've known each other 
forever. Like we started at the exact same time. We were both with the same age. He's a few months older than me. Uh, <laughs> he, <laughs> he, um, he's just the best. So he's from Newcastle, um, which is even smaller than Perth. Um, Newcastle's like, kind of bogan, isn't it? <laughs> it's very bogan. Um, it, but it's, it's great. For, it's like a lot of top comics have come out of Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart, aside from that, very, very bogan. Um, and Reese was very, very bogan uh, when he was starting out. Um, and yeah, so it's been, it's been very, it's been an odd experience, but it's been lovely because at the same time, he's the only other person in the world who knows what we I experience on a daily mm-hmm. basis being a queer Australian working performer um, doing the exact same job. So it's great. <laughs> but also often we'll be going to functions and because we wear a lot of, we go to a lot of similar stores and stuff, I'll be mm-hmm. like, you're not wearing the, the black and white polka dot Jack London <laughs> suit tonight, are you? Um, we have to be careful with that sort of stuff. But he's, he's great. And I think he's doing such a wonderful job on Drag Race Down Under. Oh yeah, he's uh, he's a bright spot on that show. Your um your friendship reminds me a lot of. I have a friend. We're we're still very good friends today. His name's Sam. Um, we went to middle school and high school together. Um, we were both singer, dancer, actors. Yeah, and um, we constantly were going for the same roles. And once yeah. we even got double cast in a role, we both. <laughs> We both had to play Jack and Into the Woods in high school. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it was like, this is also someone who like, you know, um, was one of the first people to know I was queer and vice versa. And, um, you know, we, we had a tumultuous, you know, I was in love with him for most of my youth. And then we yeah. were always compete. And it was like um, to be in love with him, but then also hate him because we're like competing for all the same roles and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's queer relationships are tricky. I, I, I dare say much more tricky than um, a straight relationship. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, when I first started going to Sydney to stand up when I couldn't afford it, when I, when A, the promoter could, wouldn't, I wasn't big enough to uh, be afforded a hotel room, nor could I afford one myself. I used to share Reese's like single bed in his little <laughs> share house uh, and we'd go out on Oxford Street and we'd go to this bar called The Columbian and there was this uh, couch that was halfway up the stairs um, and we'd park ourselves there and just drink and drink and drink and commentate <laughs> everything going on in the bar and, uh, and then go home and share his single bed um, in this like six person share house. So it's now weird when we're like kind of both discussing going for these huge jobs thinking back to where we started together. Oh, but that's lovely. I absolutely love that. I think those humble beginnings, people who, um, people who go straight from obscurity to celebrity with none of that, like long, arduous crawl. um, I think uh, they're missing out on something because you really appreciate success when you've like done the chicken shittiest gigs out there. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) But the problem is I never actually get to do them with Reese, who's because we like people, I guess bigger that we like tick the same box. Oh, we already got one. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Exactly. Even though our standup couldn't be more different. Um, it is quite different. Um, I I don't know how to describe the difference other than, um, uh, oh, I don't know how to describe it, but for two um, queer comedians, it's very unique flavors. And I mean, let's just boil it down to you're blonde and he's a redhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that I mean, pretty much describes it. Exactly. <laughs> book us both. You can book us both. You need a blonde and a redhead on every bill. <laughs> Um, yes, it was very, it's, you, you, the two of you have always been so kind to me and you were my first friends in Australia. I already, um, I think I already knew Courtney. She wasn't there at the time. We'll, we'll leave her uh, out of she, this. She was busy. <laughs> sure. All right, man. do a lot of different things you're a tv presenter you're a radio presenter you're a stand-up comedian what's it like preparing for each of those different jobs do you find yourself like on the radio using your stand-up material and you're like oh i can't use this or then it's going to be ruined for my show or or on eurovision and you accidentally um talk about sucking some dick and you're like oops i (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I've broken the broadcast code. Um, yeah, I've come close so many times. Um, they're all very different. Like Eurovision, it's on um, a, a channel here that, it is, yeah, you can't, you've got to be a little careful with what you say. Um, the radio station I work on, we're kind of, we're pretty loose with what mm-hmm. we're allowed to do. And that's, um, I do that five days a week, every afternoon. It's our big, like, national drive show. Um, so I forget how many people are listening to that because I just kind of sit in a studio with my two co-hosts. Um, but it's it's kind of hard to test material there because they all jump in. I'm like, well, I'm not going to have you on stage when I go to do this for real. <laughs> um, but, you know, you'll then tell a story and you go, oh, that'll be great material. I'll, I'll maybe save that for next year's um, show and then I'll forget to put it in my notes and then it'll mm. come time to putting the show together. I'm like, I said something hilarious a few months ago. What was that again? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very disorganised in my um, approach to stand-up. I've never written anything down. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, when it comes to having to put together, say, a set for like a corporate gig where mm. they've asked for clean material and to avoid, you know, this topic, this topic, this topic, I'm like, oh, would, it would be great if I'd written some of my material down at some point. <laughs> and I think that every time, and, and they're never able to do it because I'm quite lazy. Corporate gigs are probably the bane of my existence. And yet, you don't say no to a corporate gig. That's where the money's at, baby. I know. I love a corporate <laughs> gig and I absolutely hate them. What I love more than a corporate gig is that car, that car trip home or that Uber trip home from the corporate gig and you're <laughs> cashing that check in your mind. No one's laughed at you. They've all been up the bar the entire time. Or the other problem with corporate gigs is because I'm quite, I, like, I, I guess I'm quite divisive. Um, you know, there's <laughs> half the crowd are like, oh, God, not him. When you walk out, they're like, please open the stage half an hour of Joel Creasy. And you can just see half the crowd be like, fuck this. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had some corporate gigs. I had one um, in quarantine where I was just kind of like the the end of quarter, like a uh, present to the staff. Like we've got Jinx Monsoon <laughs> doing a 45 minute Zoom show for you. So thank you for your hard work. And um, I had had a call with the coordinator beforehand and she was a big fan of mine and a big fan of drag. And she was like, yeah. go for it. Do your normal material. Oh. I was like, my material's filthy. You know, you watch me on Drag Race and you think it's all like, water off a duck's back. You know, like, and, but my material's filthy when I'm on stage in front of an audience. And I'm like, is that cool? Can I swear? What kind of jokes can I make? And she said, go for all of it. Two days later, I get an email. Actually, <laughs> I ran it up to the flagpole and we're going to we're going to need you to just uh, tell some lighthearted jokes and maybe just focus on singing. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, I had a, a corporate gig for a phone company for a cellular service. And I was like, does it matter that I um, uh, that my cell service is a competing uh, a, a competing cell service and the coordinator said oh no make jokes about that they'll love it and so I did and then I had to send an apology to the to the <laughs> to the like uh, the regional manager of this uh, phone company because I had gotten up there and you know dragged dragged the phone company but all oh in God. all i mean they didn't have any problem with me deep throating the microphone talking about my my husband's um uncircumcised penis it was like <laughs> none of oh, that yeah, that's fine no but the fact that i brought up that i uh that i uh, can you hear me now no uh, <laughs> I did a corporate gig when I was like no, I was like 19 or 20 years old and it was for a hotel, a big hotel, like a Hyatt or a, or a big hotel, Hilton or something. Mm-hmm. And it was for their that hotel's entire staff. And what they'd done is they um, hired another hotel staff to run the hotel that night. So all their staff could have the evening off at this <laughs> kind of like, it was like a ball of function, very like fancy dress in their ballroom at the hotel. And the function started at 6 p.m. And they had me on doing 20 minutes of stand-up. I'm only a few years into stand-up at this point as well. Um, at 6.05 p.m. So <laughs> doors open at 6 p.m. And everyone comes flooding in. They're not used to seeing each other out of uniform. So they're very busy talking. Oh, my God, you look gorgeous. You look great. Greeting each other. No one's sat down yet. And then the CEO goes, please welcome to the stage, Joel Creasy. And in between my sound check and the actual gig, um, 
I said, did say a sound check. Oh, there's no stage. And they said, oh, yeah, that'll be fine. Just do it in the round, in the middle of the dance floor. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, this is not Cirque du Soleil. Like, the stand-up really doesn't work in the round, um, but I'll give it a crack. And I, I also was so junior, I had no position saying, like, no, it needs a stage and it needs yeah. to be all front on. And, um, yeah, in the time between the sound check and the actual gig, they decided to fill the dance floor with helium balloons with streamers <laughs> that came down to about knee height. So not only was no one sat down or listening at five past six, they said, please look on stage, Joel Creasy. I was in this jungle of confetti and streamers. <laughs> Nobody could see me for the entire 20 minutes I was doing the gig. And the only person watching was the CEO sitting there, stare, death staring me, knowing how much he was paying. So I thought then it would be a great idea to start talking about how beautiful the hotel next door was, thinking that might like prick up some ears. Terrible. Um, and then, I don't know why I did this, I thought I'm just going to scream at the top of my lungs, like shriek <laughs> like a banshee and think oh, that'll get some attention. <laughs> so I screamed at the top of my lungs like this guttural like shriek, <laughs> but then hadn't thought it through beyond that point, screamed, everybody stopped turned to look at the sea of balloons. I panicked, dropped the microphone and ran. So all all 99% of the people at this function saw was just this young, (laughs) queer, blonde kid screaming, running from the helium balloons like he's got some sort of phobia. That was it. Good night. Thank you for having me. It was, I still scar to this day. Oh my gosh. I, I I think this is my favorite thing about being an entertainer is swapping war stories with other entertainers yeah. because you um you just realize like some of the things that like you remember as like just the worst night of your life, you know, we've all we've all had there for <laughs> One man's passed out in a VIP lounge <laughs> is another person's um, uh, corporate gig shrieking and running. <laughs> um, Worst. I, I remember early on in touring with the Vaudevillians, occasionally the people who would book the show wouldn't realize that it was a one act musical and they thought it was like, uh, you know, they know. They're like a drag queen performing. I know what that is. She's oh, going right. yeah, to yeah. lip sync some songs and tell some jokes. <laughs> so we didn't uh, get, uh, like you were describing. We didn't know how to ask for what we needed, and we didn't know how to put our foot down. So a couple times we performed in nightclubs where they made a makeshift stage and brought in some folding chairs. Yeah. But this one experience, don't maybe it was Philadelphia. They didn't close down the bar area. Oh. While we were doing a show in the dance floor area, so there was an audience of people (laughs) watching us do our show while an entirely different group of people were just in the bar carrying on doing bar stuff. So we're like competing with the ambient noise of of (laughs) just like a bar in full operation at the back of the room. (laughs) But you know, you take the good with the bad. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You cough it on the chin. (laughs) Are you watching um, Drag Race Down Under? What's it like seeing um, seeing the queens that I'm sure you've crossed paths with countless times? I know, I I know them all um, fairly well. Um, they're really very on brand for Australian drag queens. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I remember Car- Karen from Finance must have been here drinking on my couch all night. I didn't. I mustn't have realised she'd, she'd gotten the gig or something. And I'm carrying on about you know what, what my knowledge of drag, not realising that she was about to get on a plane to head to New Zealand and film. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm I'm so glad it's here. Yeah, it's 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 definitely. I mean, I know most of the cast, and that's just kind of like what the drag scene is like in Australia. It's very tight. Yeah, and you get there, and I feel like five minutes later you meet everyone, and then yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're out, and also we're out every night. Like you're, yeah. you're gonna see us. We love a drink. I, I will say, you know, like um, Australians, uh, you know, Brits, Brits can drink. But there's something about Australians. Y'all really know how to party. And you do it well because you know that you're going to be there till 10 a.m. So you pace yeah. yourselves. <laughs> we have stamina. <laughs> you, you know how to make it through to the end. Um, uh, I, 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 
I'm two years sober and I don't miss drinking, but I do miss partying in Australia. I'll say yeah. that much. <laughs> we'll take that. We'll take that. Thank you. We'll put that on I, our tourism. I have some obligatory questions for you that I ask in okay. every episode. Who is your celebrity crush? Um, and you don't celebrity? get to say your own partner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not him. Uh, oh, I mean, at the moment, I've been trying, I've been launching this, I've been campaigning on air on our radio show. It's uh, Melissa McCarthy is like, I know it's a bit, uh, uh, friends always say it's really basic of me to adore everything Melissa McCarthy does. I'm like, I don't care. I'm, 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 then I am basic AF. I love Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> and so I've been campaigning. She's my, ab- I, I, I crush on her so hard. So I've been campaigning on air, just dropping her name like casually every few minutes and <laughs> um, in a desperate bid to like meet her, have a wine with her, just be in the presence of her. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I've never had a male celebrity crush. Like I never, I don't know. Oh, you're just... It's just too easy for you to go uh, It's all and... too attainable. <laughs> Henry Cavill just won't get off the phone. Um, yeah, well, it would be once again someone really obvious like that. <laughs> um, I do encourage you to keep keep manifesting it, keep putting it out there that you'll meet Melissa McCarthy while she's there. I did the exact same thing with Noel Fielding yes. in, in London. And at, at the moment that I thought, I'm never going to meet Noel Fielding, um, he taps me on the shoulder and asks if I have a lighter he can use. And then we end up Amazing. bouncing around all the clubs. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm friends with the whole Fielding family. Mike and Noel are old chums. <laughs> oh, I love Noel. I think I um, worked with Noel in Montreal. And once again, it was one of those, like, I was having one of those, I'd just gotten off the plane. And um, I was having like one of those horror geeks. And I was like, I can't believe Noel Fielding is in the room watching this. <laughs> I love, y- you have, I think, quite an iconic Australian dialect. It's like when I think of Australia, it's it's Joel Creasy's voice. <laughs> Joel Creasy's <laughs> voice in my head. Just hearing it's you say, so I worked with Noel in Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm never cons- going to get one of those like calm app campaigns where like, <laughs> you're going to sleep now. Go to sleep. <laughs> this is the sound of a beautiful bubbling river. They're never giving me that. Um, do you consider yourself spiritual? Um, a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm um, more and more as I'm, uh, uh, I guess, uh, I'm getting more spiritual. I think that's the, just a, a thing that happens because you're like, I need, I need something. I need anything to cling on to. <laughs> Once you reach that point um, where you no longer see yourself as immortal, yeah, you start connecting to something <laughs> yeah. bigger than you. Please let there be something else besides this. Um. Yeah, Jack's very spiritual um, mm-hmm. and and really kind of in tune. Um, but he'll also say things like, um, "We'll be home." And I'm like staying in my parents' like guest room, and he'll say something like, um, "Oh, I can feel a spirit in the kitchen." Anyway, good night. And I'm like, "What? You can't." <laughs> You can't tell me that. Is it? Is it my grandma? Because if so, I'm, it's not going to be a pleasant sleep. <laughs> um, and do you have a a, a go to karaoke song? Um, I do. Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. That's a good one. I don't know the lyrics to Total Eclipse of the Heart, but that doesn't stop me from duetting um, that song with Alaska. All I sing is the turnaround part, and she sings everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you did like, one time. I was with you in London, and we did impromptu karaoke, but it wasn't karaoke, and then um, it was just you doing the entire Les Mis soundtrack. For that us. was one of the best nights you and I have ever shared together. We were in your friend's apartment. It it was late at night. I had just done a show at the Soho Theater in London, and we oh, you done like did. a midnight show? Yeah, it was so yeah, cool. and I'd we acted out the entire soundtrack of Les Miserables, <laughs> and that <laughs> was, was pretty so damn fun. fantastic. Yeah, because <laughs> I think someone was like the guy that was playing Jean Valjean, or he was like the stand under Jean. He was there. Yeah, and so it was and like, we were like, like, "Oh, you did Les Mis? Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it better." <laughs> Oh, that was a fantastic night. Um, Joel, where can our uh, where can our listeners find you? What would you like to plug? Um, how, how do we follow you? How do we keep up with Joel Creasy's many goings on? <laughs> I have shows on, I do a lot with, a lot with um, Prime Video. So I've got a lot of stuff up in there. I've got stuff on Netflix. Um, or just follow me on the socials, you know. I'm, uh, 
I, I hate I hate them. I don't post anywhere near <laughs> often enough, but um, as my manager tells me on a frequent basis. But uh, but yeah, I'm 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 all over it. I check it frequent. I'm, I check it twenty four seven because I've got oh, yeah. mad anxiety. So I'm always on there. I see everything. I just don't post a lot. Well, you are a sensational performer and a wonderful friend and so lovely having you and hearing your distinct speaking voice once more in my ears. It's been lovely. Thank you, my angel. (laughs) I miss you. I wish we were catching up in some glamorous overseas destination. I haven't been to Australia in ages and and Michael is obsessed with Australians. He's has he obsessed. been? I don't think he has been, but you know, there's a a lot of Australians find their way to the UK and and he's oh, yeah. obsessed. He 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 he's just instantly infatuated with every Australian person he meets. I'm not fully sure what that is we'll we'll get into it later but i hope to take him someday um and i hope to go back for the fringe festival now that people might possibly know who i am yeah i think you i i, I think it's safe to say you're doing pretty well now i think you'll be fine <laughs> well thank you for being a guest on my podcast today joel and thanks so much for listening to hijinks here on the forever dog and moguls of media network my name is jinx monsoon and we have new episodes every wednesday so make sure to search for hijinks on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe you can follow me at the jinx on instagram or at jinx monsoon everywhere else and i'll see you next wednesday for some hijinks Forever. To listen to Hijinks ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hijinks five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hijinks is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.